The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Well, uh, we'll let the children get out of the room. I think I'm going to be, I think, uh, speaking briefly today. And I compulsively set my watch and time myself and all that kind of thing. I'm a little bit compulsive, a little bit driven, a little bit perfectionistic, a little, little bit crazy. I'm just admitting that to you. I'm confessing that to you. And uh, the, I think what I'd like to do this morning as a coach and as a teacher is uh, do the ABCs. This is in reverse order. A is, and, and you don't have to say this, I'm just putting it before you. A is admit you're a sin, sinner. This is a confession we make in coming to Christ. We, we say that we've sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We're needy, needing of his help every moment, every moment. Then B, believe Christ is the only Savior. The only Savior. And what I'm doing here is preparing you, and I'm going to just, while I have some time left, stick some things in your brain. Because there are some 300 people who come on Sunday mornings, but there is a world of people who do not know Jesus Christ, else we would not be in the sad situation we're in right now. And we need an admission as a people, as individuals, of our need. Admit we're sinners. But no, believe Christ is the only Savior. And what we mean by that is you cannot pull yourself out of the hole that you put yourself into. You cannot whitewash your body and your mind to pretend that you're not needy. And Christ came into the world to save sinners. And the Bible says there is nobody else under heaven and earth, no other name by which a man might be saved and made whole. So we want to be, believe Christ is the only Savior. Then see, choose to follow him. We, we want to do an about face. I was going this direction. And then I turned and went towards the cross to receive the forgiveness of my sins, to watch and see as he pays the price for everything I've done. I, as a young man, I had a dear friend, <laughs> who was very similar to uh, me, and I don't want to g- go into this too much, but just one of the greatest people ever in life. And I was alone in prayer, and that's really what this is about today, prayer. Uh, and I was, grew burdened. You see, the, the title of this, this morning is Abide in Me. And the idea of it is that we are part of as Christians, the vine that is in Jesus. Grapes are amazing things. These vines are amazing things. When you plant them, I'm told you put them about 12 feet apart because the growth is so rapid from place to place that that space can fill in in no time. And it takes about three years for the vine to fully mature. So that speaks to us. And we, we have to mature, and it takes time. And then you bear fruit, and you also have little kind of wooden parts to the tree that gives it, I suppose, its structure. But that is a very lame thing. You can't eat it. You can't do anything with it except burn it. 
except get rid of it through uh, the puff of flame. Get it out of there. And you are part of a vine if you're in Jesus Christ. And the vine is Jesus, and he's a vine of beauty and strength. And he disperses his very life to you. But there are others that are that wooden part of the, the, the mechanism of the plant. And they can produce nothing. Nothing comes out of it. That, that's where I was. And then there's other part, which is fruit. Beautiful fruit that is so tasty and so wondrous. And it has joy associated with it. You know, the vine was so important to Israel that they put it on their temple. There were marks of it. There were gold and, shall we say, uh, pieces of artwork up in the temple that had grapes all over it. And the wealthy would come in and, and throw their wallet down or whatever they did and put golden uh, grapes more and more on there thinking they would win God's approval by the giving of their gold to decorate this vine. And yet it seems that the vine normally in Scripture is associated with degeneration, with bad behavior. Most of the time when Israel is referred to, it is referred to as an unfruitful vine. All kinds of things are not going on in the life of the people. They are far, far, far from Jesus. Not only from Jesus, from the God who loved them and created them. And you will see over and over the cycle with, with people, and yes, here as well, where they live for the Lord in the times of triumph, for, it seems for brief moments. And then Israel or Judah will go back to idol worshiping and the strangest possible immoralities you can imagine. And this vine meant to produce fruit and do something good is no longer good. So, so what you do to get out of that trap is, A, you admit you're a sinner, you've got a problem. Israel had to do that. And we're not speaking of the Jewish people. It is people, period. Christian religion can become so formulaic. You say the word, I grew up in an environment where you just kind of recited phrases. But it seemed to be a religion without any power. No intimacy with the God who created people. You see, he's here right now, and that's what this, this uh, sermon is about. He's here right now. He lives in you. The God of all the universe lives in you and wants to express himself through you. He wants you to be that vine or that part of the vine that bears fruit and not that part that is burned up. And so he says, as the uh, title says, abide in me. Well, my friend, I was in my room and let's read this and then we'll get to this. And when you pray, that's part of being part of the vine. That is that faithful person who says, God, my life is tough. I admit I'm a sinner. I, I need help. I believe you're the only Savior. I choose to follow you. Help me. And it says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, the phonies, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. This is Jesus talking. To be seen by others is just silly. It's just a lack of self-esteem. It's really a belittling thing we do to ourselves, and we all do it in some measure. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The mighty orator, the musician. I want to say, I'm a, I'm a singer. I love the approval of men, and at the same time I see the deadly nature of the poison that is somehow entwined in that thing. Truly, you've received your reward. What he is suggesting 
Is there a much greater reward found in the place of prayer? But when you pray, go into your room. Oh, 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 Lord, let's just stop there. I'm doing this so people can see it and reward me with applause for my spirituality, my deep and enduring spirituality that is better than all the rest. And they know it. They think I'm the bomb dizzle, whatever that means. I've never understood what that term means. But apparently it makes us feel better about ourselves. If we sing or if we play the trumpet so great and nothing's wrong with any of that, except if that is the way you think you will ingratiate yourself to the holy God or to make yourself better in any way. What he is suggesting to us and pushing us forward to is an intimate and private relationship with Jesus Christ that no one really knows about. You don't have to talk about it. And yet, it is clearly expressed by your life. It says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Shut the door. Who's going to know how holy I am if I do that, Lord? Now, I don't know if you do this stuff, but the bottom line is for me, having been so sculpted by the Lord over many years with the loving chastisements, I always go into some place by myself and I do it in the morning. For some reason, you will find this. You will find that if you do things, now, I don't make a lot of this, but early in the morning, it's as if you're almost in a dream state, as, as some of you know that do this every day of your life, four, five, and six in the morning. It's as if the dreams continue to go, and some of them are spiritual in nature, beautifully so. And that thing you wanted to say to your friend, it's right there on the tip of your mind, that, that prophetic thing. And at this time, I was in my living room praying for my friend who was as dear to me as myself. And I had this wave, this cloud come over my mind, kind of that things were not good with him. And I was led to look led. I was praying alone by myself, and I believed in a living God that could speak to me. And what it said was, he's, things are bad with him. Things are not going well, Bill. Will you send him this passage? Oh, my Lord, really? Should I really do that? I'm in the quiet place. I'm all alone. He'll never hear anything or think anything of this. He'll never know about it if I don't send him something. And I sent him because I wanted to. I told the Lord I would obey him if he spoke to me. I sent him a devastating prophetic announcement from Ezekiel. I don't remember what it was, but I remember the taste that I had in my mouth as I read it. This bitter, this awful thing has been happening on another coast in another part of uh, the world to your friend who you had prayed for to receive Christ. I never heard back from him that I can remember, but I saw him perhaps 20 years later, 30 years later, a couple times. And he never forgot, he brought it up with me on both occasions that his life had been bad, it had been crazy, it had been off kilter. And he knew it, and that prophetic word stuck with him. Now, here's where I'm going this morning. Jesus is just a prayer away. May I tell you, I believe in the inspiration of Scripture. I believe in prophecy, not simply that which is spoken by the Lord in his book. I believe that God speaks to his people. I know he does, in fact. 
And as we draw closer to him in the place of prayer, I think our prayers sometimes become more accurate, more precise. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done. Whatever you will seems to encompass a lot of ideas. And an intimate relationship with Jesus is not simply religion and a repetitive muttering of phrases. That's not what it is, although that's part of it. And some of those phrases are the most noble statements man has ever made. But there's something even more deep and real. The intimate friendship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. When you pray, Jesus says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's a promise. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now, the Lord here is referring to a whole host of things. But there are gigantic portions of world religion where people spin in circles till they fall down or they mutter incantations that sound very, very dark repetitively thousands of time in order to somehow incite their God to action. We'll remember this happened with the prophets and Elijah where they just would say the same things over and over and over again and then it got so bad they began to cut themselves. Now if there were a devil, that's what he would do to you and that's what he does to us when we go our own way. There is torment associated with a world of religion out here. But here is the beauty of Christianity, Jesus paid it all. Jesus took all our punishment on ourselves. We do not bloodlet upon our own bodies. He took it on his precious body. So go to your room, shut the door, and your father, who is in secret, he's there. When two or three are gathered in his name, he's there. You're one, he's two. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as a Gentile type, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Before you ask Him, He knows what you need. What I do is just a, a, a technique. It's part of my morning devotions. Don't do whatever the Lord leads you to do. My point is not to copy my compulsive kind of strange thing. I have a list of names. Um, it, it shifts off from time to time. I use something from uh, this gentleman who has been Tom Mercer. It's been such a blessing to me. 8 to 15, the world is smaller than you think. A pastor up here feels like the world is gigantic. There's a zillion people. I, I honestly and deeply believe that it's not what I say that this morning that matters. It's what you receive and incorporate in your life. It's one thing for me to speak to 300, but for all of you to speak to 7 to 15 people, we're talking, I think, 2,100, 4,500 people. And if that meeting and moment is led by the Lord Jesus in response to prayer, in response to us asking him to help us with our friends, the world changes. The world changes. There was a woman whose name was Norma Jensen. She was a missionary to uh, Belgium. And she spent a lot of time, I think, in secret prayer. I don't know that. She never said anything. I was in a, 
a church service. I was leading worship. This is probably 40 years ago, roughly, maybe longer than that. And I was uh, singing, carrying on, whatever, and they had a time where people could pray out loud or, or speak what the Lord was saying to them. And she stood up. She, I would say she was in her 50s, a tall, willowy woman. And it was as if, maybe she didn't, I don't remember this, as if she pointed her bony finger at me as I stood up there. And she said, this day the Lord has prepared you or, or called you to ministry. Meaning, if I, I could re, re, put it to you in the way she said it. It's like, this day I have a specific role for you. What she did not know, and I asked her afterwards, I said, said do you know what you said? Do you know, do you know what's going on? The elders of my church were convening to decide whether I would take an intern jo job at a very uh, wonderful church. And they hated to see me go, and they didn't want me to go, and this kind of thing. But those men were big enough to salute and say, if that's what the Lord's saying, they had heard this. They tried to talk themselves out of it. But when that woman pointed on the day the decision was to be made, that today I have called you to this, it changed my life, and it changed their life. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because I think this came out of the secret place of prayer and conversations that are not simply one way with the Lord, but also come back at you. He whispers to you, how do you know it is Him? I don't know. By their fruits ye shall know it. Are you abiding in Him? Are you walking with Him? Are you in the place of prayer? Have you confessed your sins? A, admitted you're a sinner, believe Christ is the only Savior, chosen to follow Him. Have you done that, that groundwork just for starters? And then do you come to Him and say, Lord, if you tell me to do something, I'll do it. I, I rebuke Satan and every demon power from speaking to you, but speak to my mind, will, and emotions and tell me what next steps were. My friend, when I sent him that note, that was part of this particular experience. There are people in your world that you mark down when you go into your class. This is what I do. I, I'm back to telling you what I do. I mark them down. There's a lot of them in my world, if I did my family alone. But I always make sure that I mark down at least 8 to 15 people somewhere in there that I am specifically praying for that the Lord might give me opportunity to speak them. Well, you might imagine the God that speaks through this scripture puts me in places with them fairly constantly. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, live in him, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. This is a speaking. The vine is Jesus. We bear fruit when we're close to him in prayer, in prayer, in the quiet place, in the silent place, apart from everybody. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, that, those pieces of wood thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Wait a second. What if I want something impure, something inappropriate? He has already prefaced this. If you abide in me 
and my words abide in you. If you're alone with Jesus, you're loving him, you're seeking him, you're a-okay for going forward with your requests. And he says something that is astounding. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I think of George Mueller, uh, the, the man that was crazy enough to begin an orphanage in Bristol, England. He started this orphanage in order not simply to take care of the, the, the urchins of, of England, the, those entirely impoverished children, but more than that, to show his world. He said his stated purpose that he had received in prayer with his father when he decided to think no thought but what Jesus would say to him, try to be dead to himself and alive unto God in his place of prayer. He felt the Lord told him to start something and not tell one human soul anything about his needs. Those of you that know the story, over a period of years, through many dangers, toils, and stairs, thousands of children came to be housed, orphan children, because that one man listened, that he was in the vine, abide in me and I in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in me, ask whatever you will, it will be done to you. That's a promise that is gigantic in its nature. Are you asking gigantic prayers? Do you believe in that possibility? It is what Jesus Christ teaches. If you will keep my commandments, what are his commands? It's simply, A, you can't keep them yourself. B, by his power you can. And it's, you can do it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hang all the rest. Just love him, be alone with him, and write down your list and pray for them. Pray for them. I prayed for my friends. Almost every time I had an interaction in my early Christian walks, I had been so messed up that they could not help but see a change wrought in the heart of a lost and darkened soul. And they were open to the gospel as I abided in him. Jesus goes on to say, as the Father has loved you, and I'll conclude with this, as the Father has loved me, this much, listen to this, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be he has promised to answer your prayers and he will sculpt the prayers in the place of abiding. You will not be coming up with your own great ideas. He will superimpose his nature and person. Perhaps that's too mystical for you. It, it isn't mystical enough for me. I want all that he has, especially in this hour especially in this hour. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you abide in me and my words about him, abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. Let's bow our heads to pray. Lord, we A, admit we're sinners saved purely by the grace of God. B, we believe you're the only Savior. C, we choose to follow you. 
Lord, meet us in the place of prayer. There are so many people in our life who don't know you. And Lord, they'll be lost eternally. Lord, if, if there were a war, God, today there'd be people lost forever. And yet I believe it is your plan and purpose to reach a lost world with your gospel. And I believe that there will be a glow on this people that people will see and feel as they come close to them. Bless them, I pray. And lead and guide them in the days ahead to abide with you.